the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David gives up hope of ever being reconciled with Saul, and he just wants Saul to leave him alone, and Saul finally agrees. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 17. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 17. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 26. This chapter is very similar to chapter 24, because remember chapter 24 is where Saul came out hunting David, and Saul ended up coming into David's cave to relieve himself, and David had an opportunity to kill Saul, did not. Similar situation here. So the question, of course, would be, well, since we've already kind of heard that story, why is this one included? Like, why do this? We already know David's not going to kill Saul, right? Well, there are some important differences in these two chapters, and they give us an indication of David's changed heart, and not in a good way. David, if you remember last time, he was trying to reconcile with Saul. He was trying to fix the situation. But this time we're going to find out he just wants Saul to leave him alone. So... Chapter 26, verse 17, and Saul recognized David's voice, and he said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O king. The last time David saw Saul, and he replied, He said, My Lord, my king, and my father. Not this time. David's language throughout this entire chapter is purely that of a liege to his Lord. There is no personal touch anymore. And he says to Saul, verse 18, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? Not his son-in-law, but after his servant. What have I done? What evil is in my hand? Why are you hunting me again? I thought we had this settled in our last meeting. Have I done some new evil? Have you discovered new, some new machination of mine against you? And because there is no new charge Saul can level against David, he says nothing. And thus, David now finally proceeds with his plan. Verse 19. Now, therefore, I pray you. You got nothing? All right. Now, therefore, I pray you. He says, I've done new, no new wrong against you. Please listen to my words. Let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. Really listen, Saul. Don't dismiss what I'm about to say because it's important. If the Lord have stirred you up against me, 
Well, then let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, then cursed be they before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. David conceives two possible reasons that Saul has returned to hunt him down. Since there's no new charge against David, there's nothing new that David's done wrong in the kingdom, he perceives that there can only be two reasons you've come back out to hunt me after our last agreement. He says, first off, perhaps I've done something wrong and God sent you down. And if God sent you down here to punish me, then please know I'll gladly repent and make the prescribed offering in the law. You can go home. Just tell me what it is, and I'll make the appropriate offering, and I'll fix it. But, but if it's not the Lord that sent you down. If men's accusations have stirred you to take action against me, oh, David says, cursed be they before the Lord. I call on the Lord to do harm to them right now for such wicked lies, is what he's saying. I pray God smite them with something, a really bad itch. Something. For they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now, that's kind of dramatic, David. But what David's trying to say is, if, that, if it's because men have accused me of something, then cursed be they because they have really wronged me. What they have done to me is awful. Saul, you and these other men who have something against me are leaving me no choice but to leave my homeland, the land God gave me for an inheritance, the only place that I can obediently worship him. You're forcing my hand to leave. Now, I don't know what it's like to be a fugitive. Most of us probably don't. I hope none of you have ever had to live through that. But most of us know what it's like to be falsely accused. And man, when that happens, doesn't it make you feel like your options are so limited? Like, I mean, what do you do? I mean, you blast them. That, like, I, you know, I can blast them. And then you think, well, I might lose my job, you know? I mean, all these things happen. You're like, you feel like you're just crushed in this little tiny space with nowhere to move because all the different pathways you might take that they're going to turn out bad. The hardest part for me when I'm wronged is getting out of my own head. The truth is, David didn't have to leave the promised land. You get wronged at work, you get falsely accused, I, I, I have no other choice but to leave the company. And it's like, if you just settle down for a minute, that's not the only choice, right? Not the only choice. Sometimes I'll come to Bev and God bless her and I'll be all up in a roar about something and that's all I got to do. I just be like, let's take a deep breath. That's not the only option you have. Yes, it is. It's the only option I have. David doesn't have to leave the promised land. In fact, every time he leaves the promised land, God tells him to go back, even though the situation hasn't gotten any better. While David's accusation is legitimate, it shows that he sees this situation as unfixable. He doesn't even seem to want reconciliation anymore. And so he's resorted to blaming others for leaving him with only bad options. The problem when you do that is that's not biblical. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it tells us that God always makes a path for us. It says, there is no temptation taken you. In other words, you've never experienced any type of testing or trial or difficulty except such as is common demand. In other words, if you're going through something, somebody else has gone through it before you, and there's likely somebody else going through it right now somewhere in the world. And so instead of thinking, no one's ever been here before, there's no solution to this, I'm done for. Remember that God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above 
that which you are capable. Wait a second. Okay, I hear this quoted all the time. God will give you anything more than you can handle. That's a lie. That is not biblical. God gives me stuff I can't handle all the time. I can't handle anything. That's biblical. Jesus said, without me, you can do a few things. No thing, nothing. But Paul also said, I can do how many things through Christ who strengthens me? All things. So when we talk about here this idea that he will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, the word there, it means to have the power to do something. We always have Christ who can through us do all these things. What he's saying here is not that I'll never give you anything you can't handle. If that's your mindset, you're probably confused because you're probably going through things that are too much for you to handle. But he always makes a power available to us for everything he allows us to go through. That's what he's saying. And in addition to that, it says this, but he will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. So David is, what you're going through, extremely difficult? You bet. But David had a way of escape. There was a power available to him, a power that he'd been using already for so many years. And it was trusting in the Lord while on the move in the promised land. The problem isn't that that's not an option still. The problem is, is that David's weary of that option. He doesn't want to do that anymore. And thus, David comes to his purpose for sneaking into the camp and taking Saul's stuff. Not reconciliation, but a word from the 80s, detente. He just wants a truce. Verse 20, now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one does hunt a partridge in the mountains. David says, let not my blood fall to the ground. Don't chase me out of the land so that I die in the land of my enemies. Let me stay here and leave me be. I'm no threat to you and you know it. Who is the king come out to chase? King of Israel. You're the king of Israel, this big thing. You come out to chase a flea. All right, I, have, I chase some bugs every once in a while at the house, but I'm not, I don't chase fleas. Can't see them. I can barely see the mosquito in front of me. You're chasing a flea. It's like one man hunting a partridge in the mountains. Now, partridge, the bird that's being referred to here, these are stout-bodied game birds, and they, they don't fly very far. In fact, when they have to fly, they tire very easily. And so what they would do is they would put up these nets where the birds, they corral the birds, and so they're flying back and forth between these nets. And they, what they do is they get so tired that they eventually land. And when they land, you got a bunch of people that run out and club them. And then you have lunch. Now, the idea is you try to get them in large groups because when you're trying to corral them, obviously some get free. You don't ever do that with one partridge. And you certainly don't chase one all the way into the mountains. Basically, what David's saying is, Saul, you got far bigger problems than me. Saul, I'm not asking to come home. I just want you to leave me alone. Stop chasing me. Whether it's a marriage or a family relationship or a friendship, it's always sad when someone gives up on a relationship. 
when hope is lost for any path forward. Christians are not supposed to be like this because Jesus isn't like this. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7 and 8, it says, Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's God's love for us. And we are to emulate our Savior. Now, David's words this time, they really hit Saul. And they actually moved Saul so far as to make a commitment that he won't break this time. Look at verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son, David. I wish return there meant return with me. I wish that's what it meant, but it doesn't. It means you're free to go. He says, David, it was wrong for me to come out here again. You're right. You're free to go. Return. And again, he calls him my son, David. Saul owns David as his son, though he won't go the next step to reconcile. And so what he tells David, he says, you are free to go, for I will do you no more harm, because my soul was precious in your eyes this day. He tells David, no more evil, no more false accusations, no more hunts. And you know what? Saul will never hunt David again. In fact, these two will never see one another again. And why does Saul agree to David's terms? I think it finally sunk into him that David valued his life. He valued his position as king. He says, because my soul was precious in your eyes this day. It means, precious means to be of high value, something to be respected. And has that truth found some firm ground in Saul's heart? I think probably for the first time. He actually verbalizes his disgust at his own behavior, not just here, but over the years. He says, behold. Behold means I want everyone to pay attention to what I'm about to say. This isn't just for David. This is for everybody to hear. He says, I have played the fool and I have erred exceedingly. The phrase erred exceedingly, it means to go so very far astray. If you've ever found yourself very, very far astray, you understand what Saul is experiencing right now. There are several very sad moments toward the end of Saul's life. Moments where it seems like he's this close to coming back. And this is one of them. They're sad because he realizes how lost he is. But they're doubly sad because he still doesn't turn around and come back to the Lord. It's never fun, but it's good to be slapped into your senses again like the prodigal son, right? When he's in the muck and the mire and he goes, what am I doing here? I love what Jesus, as he tells the parable, he says, and when he came to himself, he finally came to his senses again. He finally started thinking like a rational human being again. It's good to realize that you're in a place you have no business being. But realizing you're in a place that you have no business being is not repentance. Realizing you're in a place you have no business being is simply the mercy and kindness of God seeking to lead you to repentance. Are you far away from where you should be right now? If so, don't see your relationship with God as irreconcilable. The only irreconcilable difference you can have with the Lord is unbelief. If you just never trust him. 
And so if you're away, come home. Come to Jesus. The Bible says he is meek and lowly of heart, and he longs to give you rest for your soul. There's something about this whole passage when I read it. Maybe I read it wrong, but when I read it, I almost sense like a half-heartedness to what Saul's doing. It almost seems like the whole time he's like, what am I even doing out here? It seems the whole time he's just weary of the fight. He's tired of fighting against the Lord. He's worn out. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy or your own condemning heart that it's too late to turn around. Because if you're still breathing, it's not. Sadly, neither Saul or David believe that reconciliation is possible for themselves. And thus, David is satisfied with Saul's response. Verse 22, and David answered and said, Behold, the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and fetch it. I don't, I'm not going to bring it to you. I don't trust you that much. This object which has hunted my life that's in my hand, since you agree leave me be, then I see no reason to hold on to it. But I don't trust you enough to give it to you. In fact, David doesn't seem to really believe Saul because he reminds Saul that God has been witness of everything that happened today. Verse 23, the Lord rendered to every man his righteousness. It literally means the Lord rendered to the man his righteousness. David is speaking of himself. The Lord rendered to me for my righteousness and my faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed And behold, as your life was much set by, the phraser means to cause to become great. As your life was raised up, made great in my eyes, so let my life be made great, much set by in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. He says, I've not done any wrong to you, Saul. I've been a loyal subject the entire time. And by sparing your life today, I've allowed you to remain great instead of dead. May God pay me back for that by making me great and preserving me from trouble in the future. If David wasn't already backsliding, I'd be tempted to think he was simply invoking the promise of sowing righteousness and reaping God's blessing. Because when we ask the question, does God bless our obedience, what's the answer? Yes. I mean, it's all throughout the the scriptures. I mean, we go to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall what? Receive mercy. So that implies if you're not merciful, you're not going to receive mercy, right? So there is a blessing that comes with the obedience of being merciful. So certainly God does that. And we know that David is living by kingdom principles here in sparing Saul's life. But if you've read into chapter 27 and you see what David does right after this encounter is over, it makes it really hard for me to see that David's heart is in the right place. I think David sees himself and what he's verbalizing is that he deserves better than this. And I think that's why David makes some of the mistakes he does toward the end of Saul's reign. When he takes multiple wives, when he fights for the Philistines, when he wipes out entire towns to cover up his unfaithful service to the Philistine king he pledged loyalty to. It's going to get dark for David in a little bit. Whatever David's reasonings for invoking God's blessing on himself, though, Saul agrees. And so Saul says to David, verse 25, Blessed be thou, my son David. You shall both do great things and also shall still prevail. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. He says, I agree, David. May the Lord bless you. My son. Third time Saul says it. David never in this passage acknowledges Saul as his father-in-law. 
Again, I think Saul is this close to welcoming David home. I think he's this close to giving up the fight against the Lord. It's funny because he even pauses after he says, blessed be thou, my son, David. It's almost like he's on the edge, like he he knows what he needs to do. He seems nothing like the defiant king he's been for decades here. He seems like a man whose many years of fighting God have finally taken their toll. But sadly, the words that come next show that he still refuses to reconcile with David. And so he says, you shall do both great things and also prevail. I, I know you'll win this contest that we're having, David, of who's going who's gonna to run Israel. I know you're going to win that. I know I can't beat you. I know you'll be king. And the sad part is that's enough for David right now. If he leaves me alone, I don't care what he thinks. So David goes back into the desert and Saul goes home. And as I said earlier, they never see one another again. Now, I think it's important to recognize that even when one person is right and the other one is so wrong, oh, so wrong, does anyone ever win when a relationship fails? These are two Israelis, two of God's children, both with promises of God's love and blessing. There is no way anyone will convince me that this ending was what God wanted for them. 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us, commands us to be reconciled to God. And it explains to us that God in sending Jesus and Jesus and the work that he did on the cross was reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And as a result of us being reconciled to God, he has committed to us the word, the message of reconciliation. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. We are called to be reconciled first with the Lord and then with others. It's why we read what we read in 1 John chapter 2, where it says, how can a man say he loves me and hate his brother? It's impossible. You can't. How can you love God whom you have not seen when you can't love your brother who you see all the time? It's an impossibility. It's an oxymoron. It's why Matthew 5, 43 through 45 exists, where Jesus says, you have heard it said unto you, hate your enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemy. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Pray for your enemy. All these various things that he says, because if you do that, then you're like me. So the message is, let's be those who live and preach reconciliation. Let's be those who initiate, even when it's not ourselves that got us into the mess. Let's be those who seek to fix a relationship, even when we're not the one who created the breach in the relationship. You know, there's a passage in Ezekiel that always convicts me. And it's where the Lord is chastising. He is rebuking the leaders in Israel. And one of the things he says there is he says, you have not sought out to bring back that which you drove away. And I remember there was a situation in my life where someone had broken off contact with me and and it wasn't my fault. I had done nothing wrong. And I was reading through that passage, and the Lord said, you need to go find him. And I said, I didn't cross the problem. I don't need to go find anybody. And the Lord said, my good servants, 
they go and find the people that they drove off, even if they didn't mean to drive them off. Guys, if we're going to be different and be like our Father in heaven, isn't that what he did to us? I mean, does God have any guilt in any part of our relationship being breached? And yet, does the Bible say that we sought him first or he sought us first? These are heavy things, and certainly, I'm not sure I would have done any better in David's shoes, probably guaranteed to do worse. But the reality is, we can be better with the Lord's help. Amen? Lord, we love you, and we desire to be those who live and preach this message of reconciliation. And so, Lord, first off, that that means we need to do business with you if there's areas that we're not reconciled to you. Lord, if we've gone astray, you have been seeking us out. You've maybe even brought us here tonight to draw us to yourself. And then, Lord, maybe there are relationships right now that are out of sorts, that we have not pursued reconciliation because of the hurt and the pain. And, and maybe we might even say, I haven't done anything wrong, and it's, it's so unfair, Lord. That was the case with David. That's why you shared this with us, so that we would be more like you and not like this. So, Lord, please melt our hearts, melt our hard hearts, our hurt hearts, comfort us and empower us to be the messengers of reconciliation in the same way that you are a messenger of reconciliation to us. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.